wonder if I never knew that you could just drink chicken broth like you do, or if I just <laughs> forgot that it existed. Yeah, it's just like chicken noodle soup minus the noodles. Well, you're drinking chicken tea. Chicken tea, yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think it's delicious. What's the biggest thing you ever forgot existed? Oh, I don't know. I think we were talking recently and we were having popcorn and I was saying, oh, this would be so good if there was like kind of a sweet coating on it. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, like caramel popcorn. I was like, oh, yeah, that is a thing. Or like kettle corn yeah. or candy popcorn. Yeah. I completely forgot that that was a thing. That's funny. I once saw a video of this uh, astronaut and he was giving a lecture or something just on Earth. And he had, I don't know if it was a pen or a glass of water, and he just kind of moved his hand out and let go of it and then to, went to do something else. And then it fell to the ground. And he was like, oh, yeah, gravity. <laughs> he forgot gravity. <laughs> he existed. was just going to like leave it in the air and grab it again when yeah. he needed it. That's pretty big to forget. Oh, yeah. I also forgot cannons existed once. Really? Yeah, because I was talking about something. I don't know why it came up. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool, though, if like for boats and stuff, if they had like real big bullets and they shot that out and also like smashed through it. And then I realized like, oh, that's a cannon. That exists. That's a thing. Yeah. So sweet popcorn and cannons, cannons are the two biggest things I forgot. <laughs> Those are uh, like not things that come up super, super often. Maybe the popcorn more in our house because I eat a lot of popcorn. But yeah, but not much sweet popcorn. And also not a lot of cannons. No, no, that's true. Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way, welcome everyone to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy Caramel Corn Randawa, and with me is my lovely co-host, Samantha Chicken Tea Randawa. It's me. Chicken tea. Chicken tea. Is that what people call the drink you're drinking? Chicken tea? Yeah, do they call it chicken tea? No, it's just like a broth of soup. So if you were to tell someone what you're drinking right now, you would say, I am drinking a broth of soup? <laughs> I think I'd say I'm drinking a chicken broth. Okay. A mug of chicken broth, not chicken tea. <laughs> I think it's chicken tea. I think I'm people... drinking tea tea and you're <laughs> drinking chicken tea. I think people would be very confused by me saying chicken tea. Chicken juice. No, that sounds even grosser. Chicken milk. No. no chicken milk is, of course, uh, eggnog. Yeah. In French, it's chicken milk. <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting distracted, but welcome everyone to another episode. And we here at I Love This You Should Too are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. Today, we are doing one of our shorter episodes. Both Samantha and myself will have a spoiler-free thing of the week and then at the end samantha is going to reveal what we will be watching for our big watch next week and then we'll spend all of next week's episode dissecting this movie and i have a good idea of what it might be i think everyone who's ever listened to the podcast knows what we're going to be watching next i'm excited when we get there <laughs> First, let's thank one of our sponsors today, and this episode of I Love This You Should Too is brought to you by the Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you can be calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by the Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. 
Well, Samantha, why don't you get us started today? What is your thing of the week? Well, as usual, my thing of the week is a book that I have read or listened to in this case. Um, It is called Royal Witches, Witchcraft and Nobility in 15th Century England by Gemma Holman. And it is about four very um, powerful and influential women in kind of the 15th century who were all accused of witchcraft and kind of what that would have looked like and the reasons why uh, some of those charges may be brought against them. So this is a time, I believe, that is kind of before the mass hysteria against witchcraft yes. in Europe. So how does this look? Is this a time where people are still being burned at the stake or hung more likely? Possibly burned at the stake. Possibly like um, like the nobility would have been beheaded. They would have been spared kind of a more gruesome death of like hanging. Oh, just a nice beheading. Or drawn and quartering or torture or anything like that. So um, this was kind of a time when science and like unknown kind of like either bodily functions or nature functions that hadn't kind of been studied yet were being confused. And there was like a very fine line between what was science and what was considered like witchcraft. Yeah. See, nowadays, I'm so glad we live in a smarter time when we know that cell phone towers give you COVID and it's controlling your brain. Exactly. But (laughs) We do not believe that. Do not put a a tag (laughs) on this for COVID misinformation. That was sarcasm. 100% believe in COVID. Of satire. Go back and listen to our December 2020 episodes where we had COVID and fully believe in it. Um, So the four women in this book are Joan of Navarre, Eleanor Cobham, Jaquetta of Luxembourg, and Elizabeth Woodville. And they are all kind of targeted by um, men in power. So this would have been a time when basically men held power. Women were kind of just like baby makers and I'm glad we've changed so much <laughs> yes oh yeah I feel like I'm gonna say that a lot so I'll just I be know um so the interesting thing in this is that the author Gemma Hallman goes through kind of the really thin line between science and witchcraft and a lot of the things that ended up being thought of as witchcraft were scientific things that we just hadn't discovered yet. Right. Like, oh, this herb works to cure this ailment. And someone had figured it out on a very rudimentary level and administered it and it had cured somebody. And then they accused that person of witchcraft because they were like, it's clearly magic that fixed me, not this herb that I took a tea of. Right. So um, the... Interesting parts of this book are very much the um, the idea of dark arts, which were a lot of herbal medicine and um, like midwifery, like what would be like delivering babies and that kind of thing now, which is totally normal. Back then, if you could save somebody or if anything went wrong later in their life, you could blame it on the midwife who delivered your baby. Or if your baby died really quickly after birth, you could blame it on that person who helped your baby along or the first person to touch your baby or oh, I'm going to blame my hair on that doctor. Yeah. That asshole. There you go. Go back in time. Uh, so despite these women who were a queen of England, a mother of a queen of England, and then some very, very powerful women um, 
who were married to very powerful men, uh, were put uh, on trial for witchcraft due to things like um, being in the wrong place at the wrong time or uh, being very skilled at medicine or care or any of the herbal remedies, like I mentioned. So it's really interesting to see how vulnerable they were at the time and how men wouldn't have thought twice about using them as pawns in order to gain more kind of power. I don't know what else to say beyond like, wow, I'm glad we don't do that. And then give a bunch of examples. But this is very interesting. So it is kind of four sections. Yes. And do they intertwine or are they contemporaries or it's kind of four biographies in one book? Um, So they're all within a hundred years. Jaquetta of Luxembourg and Elizabeth Woodville are mother and daughter. So there's um, kind of an interesting flow there. But Joan of Navarre and Ellerberg Eleanor Cobham are um, kind of separate stories. So it's really interesting to see how a lot of the same um, like witchcraft panic flows through all the stories though and how when women are kind of doing well for themselves, the men back then would kind of panic and say, oh, you're a witch. That's the only reason that you're like smart enough or, you know, like aggressive enough to be able to know that or fix that or do anything yourself because you're just a woman. So it's very interesting to see how all their stories kind of mirror each other, even though only two out of the four actually knew each other. Hmm. So do we spend a lot of the time on the witchcraft part of their lives or rather the accusations and the trials? Or does it kind of show everything leading up to that too? You do kind of get a little bit of a biography of each woman. um, And then it kind of goes into kind of family history because a lot of times in order to make some of these witchcraft accusations stick, they'd have to go back a couple generations or say like, oh, this person or to like the most newly deceased relative because obviously they're not there to kind of defend themselves. And so you kind of get a good family history before you kind of get into the witchcraft um, accusations. Interesting. And will it give a spoiler if you tell what happens with their accusations? Were they found guilty? Were they... Or should we just not get into that? Um, I don't want to super get into it, but um, the author does a very good job of kind of clearing their names. I'll say that. Okay. Well, I feel like you could just say that, yeah, they weren't witches because... Oh, they weren't. Because they weren't (laughs) witches. They were very much not witches. And um, it was just a time in history, much like the time we're living now, where women don't always have the the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Oh, we keep doing this, watching or reading really cool things that are terrible stories about the past. And then we just go, oh, yeah, but that still happens. Yeah, no, that's exactly what's happening right now. So if you want to uh, read about royal witches, you can find the book Royal Witches, Witchcraft, and the Nobility in 15th Century England by Gemma Hallman. Awesome. And then maybe as a secondary suggestion, we should say, hey, if uh, where you live, reproductive rights are being taken away from women, women uh, go uh, write your whatever you have, senator, congressman, alderman. Yeah. Uh, city councilor, yep. mayor, president, prime minister. So, Indy, what's your thing of the week? 
Uh, sadly, it is witch-free. Oh. But my thing of the week is the kids in the hall. And I'll start by saying oh, those that kids in that this hall. is a sketch comedy show that ran in the very late 80s and through the mid-90s. It is a Canadian production, but ran on HBO and CBS in the US as well, but not nearly as well known there. I should start by saying also that Kids in the Hall is one of my top probably five things to ever be on television. Really? Like, I love it. I'm a very big fan. I never did it as a thing of the week in the past because I just kept saying, no, we're going to do the show as a a full thing. But we've been getting away from TV shows because it's kind of harder to talk about mm-hmm. five years of television. They had five seasons and there were over 20 episodes a season. So there's quite a few of them out there. And I'm bringing it up now because while we record this just four days ago, they released a new season. They wow. got a deal with Amazon and I think it's eight episodes and I haven't watched all of it, but I've watched, I think, six episodes already and... I surprisingly like the new one. Oh, okay. It's not the old one, but like you can't recapture something like that. I mean, reboots aren't always great, so Mm -hmm. that's good to hear. So I watched this show way too early. If you know the content of the show, you know it's not for children, but I watched it as a child. I think the first season was on when I was like four or something, so I didn't watch it then. But I think as a 10-year-old, I was watching this. That seems too young for some of the stuff that I kind of oversaw while you were just watching it around the house. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But I think this show, outside of maybe The Simpsons, was the biggest influence on my comedy because at the time, I was also, as a 10-year-old, making little skits and mm-hmm. like funny videos and short films and stuff. So I probably more so than other kids was like looking at like why is something funny and uh, like working that out in my own head, even if I didn't realize that's what was happening. You've always been a critical thinker. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Like deep thoughts for you. And it seemed very different from things like Saturday Night Live, which was on at the time. Oh, I guess it was always on. But there weren't a lot of other sketch comedy things that I was aware of because here it's five guys And they were often playing women, but that wasn't a joke. They played women with dignity. They just were, Hmm. oh yeah, my character's a woman now. That's all. And there wouldn't be any difference to it. And it had a lot of gay characters, but it came from inside gay culture. It wasn't mocking it. And those two things made it very different already because... If you remember the 80s and 90s, that's the easiest thing. You're like, oh, women are dumb, huh? What about those queers? That's yeah. all it was. There's so much comedy that was like Yeah, that. that seemed to be something that was like kind of the butt of the joke. Yeah, and continued for a very long time. But these guys were doing something so, so different. And it was also free of any sort of celebrity culture. They're not doing parodies of famous actors or anything like that. I think the only celebrity that they often do impressions of was the Queen of England. (laughs) Scott Thompson always plays the Queen. And that's a uh, odd celebrity to kind of um, carry your show. But that's what they went with. (laughs) And I could talk about my favorite sketches, but that would be like a five-hour show. So I'll say like my favorite types of sketches. Mm -hmm. They did a lot that were just really, really sad or sometimes disturbing things. But they pushed things just a slight amount too far that made it absurd and hilarious then. 
Interesting. Like, it's a fine balance. It really is. And I don't think anyone in the history of comedy has done that as well as the kids in the <laughs> hall. Because there's this one sketch, which for some reason I also thought was appropriate to do in grade nine as my drama monologue. Yeah, you had me watch that one. And it was not something that a grade nine student should be doing as a monologue. No, and there's words in there that nobody should be saying, but they can <laughs> because they're coming from within that. But it starts with a... Uh, father tucking his son in and he says remember i could murder you in your sleep all you have to be is quiet and willing to do it and son i'm willing to do it and i've got quiet shoes <laughs> and that's not funny that's not funny and then it cuts to the son and he's going daddy drink and he's just talking about his alcoholic father and all the terrible things he said to him and i get you're out there going there's nothing funny about that and maybe on its face, there isn't. And Kevin McDonald, who wrote that sketch, it was almost all things that his father did, in fact, say to him while he was in a drunken rage. Because uh, four of the five of them had abusive, drunken fathers. And that comes up in this show all the time. And you realize when you're going through this and you're seeing these terrible things, but then you're forced to laugh you are witnessing or perhaps are a part of therapy. That's mm. what's happening right there. Interesting. Just like like you go back to like Plato is always talking about how you cut the tragedy with the comedy, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that we've known about the dramatic form for a, for a long time. And they do that so well. And I think this is that first place where I learned of that fine line between comedy and tragedy. So many of their skits aren't funny in a tr traditional way at all, but there's just something about them that makes you laugh. And I think they are responsible for teaching a generation of people to deal with their own uh, personal tragedies <laughs> by making a joke out of it. Generational trauma? Yes. I did see a lot of like alcoholism and like absentee parents. <laughs> That's a big theme. The other big one is just businessmen. Right. And they're just mocked in all sorts of different ways because Poor businessmen. This sketch comedy troupe was like it's so cliche to say like, oh yeah, but they were punk rock sketch comedy, but it kind of was. It was very anti-establishment. It was all about bringing down the things that we held in high esteem. And the businessman in like 1989, it was that, right? So sometimes they're outright mocking them. Sometimes there's this one sketch where they are kind of voyageurs on a canoe and they are paddling in, but they paddle into a business office and they use like bear traps and stuff to catch what? the businessman. And then they cuts and they're going down the street in a canoe and they're selling suits as they would furs. Like, that doesn't make any sense, but it's hilarious. <laughs> it seems like you have to see it to find it very funny. Um, and it also seems like a very situational kind of thing of the 80s. Was it the 80s? Into the 90s. But yeah. I don't know. I see it now and it is the funniest stuff. Oh. I thought, I wonder if this is going to be, if it's going to age well. Because a lot of things that have a lot of content of like any minority, in this case, there's a lot of characters who are gay. And you wonder like, ooh, this is not going to age well, because it's going to be very campy and over the top. And much of the time it is. But I do feel like it doesn't suffer from being an older show. Interesting. So much of the stuff is so absurd and not 
attached to reality in any form. It doesn't really matter when it is. It's right. just like their outfits and hair that mm-hmm. are the only thing that really anchor it. And then with their like more outlandish gay characters, you're always willing to like give them the benefit of the doubt because it is written and performed by a gay man. So you're like, if he thinks it's funny, it's kind of okay if I laugh too. Yeah, that's and fair. It's not playing on those cliches, or maybe it is playing on the cliches, but it's turning them on their head and kind of coming at it from a very different way. It's like and a often, reclamation. Yeah, of absolutely. And they use the f word, that f word, not oh. fuck, because oh. I can say fuck all I want. Oh, I don't say the other one. No. And they use that all the time in that show, and. The first few times you hear it, you're watching it's it now. Jarring. It is jarring. And then you see where they're coming from, why it's being used, and you're like, okay, yeah, go forth, my good man. <laughs> <laughs> and another type of sketch that I really loved is when they do these really bizarre, cerebral, like almost art films. There is one called Love and Sausages, and I don't even know how to describe that one, but there's another one. I'm not sure the name of it, but the premise is there's just an old man in a house and then people keep coming up to him and thanking him for not letting the monkeys out. What? And then there's this, so you presume there is this room or floor of his house that is full of monkeys who want to get out and he keeps them locked up. And that is both his curse and his duty but then also he lords this over the town and he's like oh maybe i'll let the monkeys out tomorrow and people get all scared and he's like, not this time not yet what so he just has this power over the that town. sounds so scary it is and it makes no sense and it's hilarious or there's one where you're in a factory kind of assembly line and it's just it's uh, the shift is changing over and a group of men comes in and replaces the other group and they just lay with their arms motionless in a vat of dead fish and they're like oh, okay i guess it's our time to lay our in, with our arms motionless in a vat of dead fish and they that's it and then they're just talking about like how automation is going to take their job away and it's so bizarre but you find little nuggets of truth and satire in these like truly nonsensical bizarre things Hmm. and i would be remiss if i don't mention maybe my favorite sketch ever and it's not even much of a sketch it's just a monologue it's um bruce mccullough and he's talking like directly to the camera and he's a bank employee and this character has the most specific form of anti-establishment rage that is both toothless and scathing (laughs) and he's talking about like could you believe i work at the bank yeah me right and he's like so clearly believes he's above it but the more he talks you're like yeah but you're also an idiot but also you're hilarious and also he really hates this job and you can relate to him because he talks about like i'm a little different than other guys at the bank i wear this piano keys necktie i'm a little (laughs) bit different he's talking about the customers that come in and he's talking about someone who's (laughs) Sorry, sir, your signature just isn't good enough. It's just not holding up. I've been watching it deteriorate for months. You're losing it, guy, and it shows. <laughs> oh, I'll take your check around and show it to people, but not so they'll authorize it, but so they can have a good laugh. <laughs> sir, were you aware that you were gross? <laughs> Did you know that your check smelt? I look at him and it's like, who would fuck you? <laughs> Wow. And then he dances and he goes, fuck the bank I work for. And talking about his manager, he says, like, I'll eat pancakes on her grave. (laughs) And it's just so outlandish and silly, but it taps into something that you're like, yeah, I've worked customer service. I kind of get where you're going No, I I feel that. That seems like one that a lot of people currently can kind of relate to. 
And I realize that this is just a thing of the week and I have so many notes, so I'll just stop there, I think. <laughs> but what I can say, uh, go watch Kids in the Hall. It's available all over the place on Amazon. They have all of the seasons as well as they went on and did some other, they did another short TV show called Death Comes to Town. Not that great. <laughs> and they did a movie called Brain Candy. Not that good. No. And there is some uh, tour documentaries they did, which are a little more interesting. And now the new season. And I was very worried that like, how can he be kind of anti-establishment when you've been in the business for 30 some years? True. And I think they don't have that as much, but there is still some really bizarre and funny things in it. And that's all I'll say about the new one. If you want to hear a bunch more, go watch all of those. Or if you go over to the EPL podcast called Overdue Finds. Right. I am on the most recent episode, which I believe will be out by the time this comes out. And it's all about the kids in the hall. And I just talk about it for like an hour. You do so many podcasts other than our podcast. Just the one. You were on something else. Too. Oh, Movie Jerks. That was yeah. quite a while ago. I miss those guys. They're not doing it anymore. What? Rest in peace, movie jerks. Oh, get those jerks back. I think they may have been the longest running Edmonton podcast. <gasps> Seriously? They had a lot of episodes. Like 500? Something like that. Wow. They've been going for a long That's time. That's amazing. Good for them. Yeah. They deserve a break, though. Yeah. So go check out Kids in the Hall. Go listen to me on Overdue Finds, where I say a lot of the same stuff I just said now, but a <laughs> lot more of it. But I can't swear there. No. I said, F the bank. so our second sponsor of the podcast is the edmonton community foundation and the well-endowed podcast hosted by andrew paul and elizabeth bonkink produced by lisa pruden explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong and vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe to the Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. All right, Samantha, we've been waiting in anticipation for long enough. What are we going to be watching for the big watch next week? Well, we're going to be watching Step Up Number 5. Step Up (laughs) All In. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. So as usual, because these are so formulaic and we can kind of already guess what's going to happen in them. um, I haven't watched a trailer and I also haven't read a synopsis of it, But I can tell you about the movie poster. And really, there's been two plots in all of these movies that they just keep kind of going on. Yeah, exactly. So Moose is on the cover. Nice. Um, There is a girl in a halter top with no midriff and short shorts. She has no midriff or the shirt has no midriff? The shirt has no midriff. She has a midriff. Okay, cool. It's showing her midriff, I guess. Gotcha. Um, and there is a shirtless man in black jeans. And then there are various people jumping around in the background. And good to know for all of you out there, I just looked it up on YouTube and you can watch the whole movie on YouTube oh, well, for free. That tells me that nobody cares about this movie. Yeah. You can also buy or rent it on YouTube huh. if you want to pay the money. Why not give more money to the good people at YouTube? YouTube? That's surprising that nobody cares about it because... It was uh, $35 million to make, but it made $86.1 million in the box office. 
Wow. So you'd think that they'd care a little bit more about this movie, but... So kind of the opposite of the last movie we did, The Iron Giant, which cost a lot more than it made, Yeah, which just goes to show capitalism doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> and fuck the bank. Step up all in, <laughs> makes more money than The Iron Giant, there's something wrong with your system. It's very true. We haven't even seen this movie yet, and we both agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> fuck the bank. So the tagline on the poster is, every step has led to this. Oh, so this is kind of like making it sound like the big final movie. I think this is the finale. And so then I'm looking in the background here, and I'm going to turn my computer to indie. Doesn't this look like Vegas? Yeah, that's definitely Vegas. So I wonder if this is set in Vegas. That makes sense. But yes. It, she it, is kind of like glittery. Yeah. Is that the same guy from the last movie, or did they all just look alike? So I can answer that. Is that the same woman from the last? In this movie, we will have a a visit from Camille Gage, who is Tyler Gage's sister, who was in one and three. Okay. Um, we have a revisiting from Andy West, who is in number two, The Streets. Right. Moose will be back. Moose. Moose. We love Moose. Jenny Kiddo mm-hmm. will be back. Hair will be back. Oh, you gotta have care. Monster will be back. I don't know who that is, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Vlad with two Ds will be back. Don't know who that is. Is and that the robot guy? I don't remember. Um, and then the Santiago twins will be back. Oh, they were kind of fun. Yeah, they were fun. Um, Sean will be back, who was Sean? the love interest in the last movie. Oh, I don't like him. And Eddie. Oh, Eddie's my least favorite character <laughs> of all of the Step Up movies, He was maybe. the angry server who got fired, right? Yeah, he was the best friend. Yeah, okay. He was angry about nothing constantly. And then we have new characters, Violet, Alex, or sorry, Alexa with two X's and Jasper. Okay. <laughs> so thank you to whoever at Wikipedia made this fabulous chart of reoccurring characters in these movies because it helps me read but not actually read anything about the plot. Well, all I care about is that Moose is back. Moose! Adam Savani, is that his name? Adam G. Savani. Yeah, he's our boy. Um, He's on the poster, so I'm hoping that he's in at least 40% of the he movie. He should be the lead. He should. If there's anyone, if they're making this like the big final movie, there's no better person to anchor it if you can't get Channing Tatum. Moose. Moose has been the through line for more yeah. of it than anyone. True. Also, he's the most engaging character. And he's fun and he doesn't just rely on his abs as a personality trait. Yeah. <laughs> he relies on his hair and his dancing. Yeah. And he's funny. I love and he's Moose. funny. I don't want you to guess what the movie is going to be because about. Because we all know what the movie is going to be about. Because we all know what the movie is going to be Although this might be a bit different because they're already established characters. Yes. So it might so be a little different. Do you want to do a small guess? Not really. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> all of the movies are, I'm a bad boy who does street dancing. Not me. I'm a privileged girl who does ballet. And then they learn from each other and then they succeed or some variation on that. But this one, since we're established characters already, um, I think it's going to be more about the competition of dance, I hope. I hope they will get away from the love story, the love story as yeah. much as they can. And it'll just be about all of these all-stars are coming together to do a big battle, probably in Vegas. And they are just going to dance it out. And I hope that it relies much more heavily on dancing and less on manufactured conflict. 
I also hope that Moose has a happily ever after. I think Moose just being Moose is happily ever after. <laughs> what do you think? I think you are correct. I think that there's going to be some kind of competition that either forces everyone to work together as one team as opposed to like a bunch of teams. Because we've seen a bunch of dance crews over the last like four movies. So I wonder if it's like they're competing against some other big crew and they have to bring everyone together and overcome working in different styles of dance. I don't know. That might not even make sense. But it's... I think that's what it must be. I just worry that it's going to be more about Sean and his crew. The, whatever they call it, the mob. The mob. I worry it's going to be more mob than pirates. Mm. I want the House of Pirates. Those are my boys. What if they make a whole new crew? Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. The mob pirates. (laughs) The mob pirates, yeah. The pirate mob. (gasps) Oh, see, that's a good name. It's not bad. It's not bad. I miss the Red Bucket Kids, though. So if you are following along and doing your homework, you can watch Step Up number five, Step Up All In, from 2014. And uh, apparently it's just on YouTube and you can just watch it all the way through. (laughs) Yeah, it's on some of the other streaming services where you have to pay to rent it. It's on Netflix in certain countries. So yeah, just watch it on YouTube for free. Sounds good. And we'll see you back next week when we discuss Step Up All In and the return of Moose. 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 Bye, everyone. Fuck the bank. (laughs) Holly pancakes on her grave. Yeah, fuck the bank. I agree. I always, every time I see a bank, I walk by and I just go, fuck the bank. I know there do. used to be this club in Edmonton called The Bank, oh, and it was yeah. also full of douchebags. Oh, it was the worst. So every time I'd go by that one, I'd be like, fuck the bank. I think I went there once or twice. Gross. But it was just full of gross people. And then across the street was like Oil City Roadhouse, which is also full of jerks. Different kind, though. Very different kind, yeah. They they stayed on their own sides of the street. Yeah.